The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 4. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author Kyle Harrison, about imaginary evils, ghastly getaways, robberies gone wrong, dangers down under. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from Kyle Harrison endeavors to prove that sometimes even the most imaginary of evils can cause the most real harm. Without further ado, I present to you, All in Our Heads. Everyone knew Sebastian Clark. Hailing from Ireland, he was a famed psychotherapist, a philanthropist to the community, a motivational speaker, and a devoted husband. So when word got out that he would be offering a free seminar on taking charge of your life again, the seats were full in less than a day. Rumor had it that Clark had set up a new office in the city and was also allowing any who attended to fill out applications. Supposedly, though, he only tackled the extremely difficult and unorthodox cases, the ones that other therapists simply couldn't handle, the ones that 
some shunned or turned a blind eye to. On the afternoon of September 19, 2019, what Dr. Clark didn't know was that by opening his door to the unknown, he would never be able to shut it again. And that was thanks to Adrian Brenner. Brenner sat in the back of the auditorium, listening as the therapist began his speech. The entire audience hung on every word that was said, Brenner included. I want you to take a moment and look around the room. Go ahead. Pause for a second and think about how many people are here trying to regain their sanity. They're your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your lovers, your family. Until you got into this room, you were strangers. But now you're a part of something bigger than yourself. This place is a place of safety, of healing, of rebirth. You aren't alone anymore in your problems, and it's only by working together that we can overcome them, Clark declared. A round of applause got things underway as Sebastian continued to explain how our human mind can trick us. We like to believe we're in control of our lives. It's that sense of self that helps us to wake up in the morning, go to work every day. But there is so much beyond our grasp that we can't fathom, and that can be frightening. We didn't get to choose our parents. We didn't get to decide our culture, our race. There are literally hundreds of these decisions made for us before we can even take a breath of fresh air. So truly, the only sanity we can manage is the kind we make. We have to have some mastery over our fates. And we can, once we accept this fundamental truth, the man said. The seminar went on to explain how feelings of rage and anger were just our body's way of fighting for freedom, and how that once we learn to live within our means and to aspire for realistic goals, we can have peace. Adrian loved every minute of it, but he didn't think that it would cure his own restless mind. Once the three-hour event was over, people lined up to get a signature of Dr. Clark's book, All in Your Head, and Brenner couldn't help but smirk at the title. Given what he was afflicted by, he thought it to be ironic. The 30-year-old stood in line patiently like the rest of them, but he was already convinced that Clark would be able to help him when others could not. This was his last chance at a sane life. Finally, he stood face to face with the great man, who quickly autographed one of the leather-bound books and passed it to him. Brenner nodded in thanks and stood there for a moment, struggling to find the right words to say. Is there something else? Clark asked pointedly. Suddenly he froze. Unable to speak or react, he grabbed a pen from the table and scrawled a note into the book before passing it back to the doctor. It was his hope that this unusual behavior would spark the therapist's interest, and once he finished with the note, he ran off to the bathroom to calm down. It's going to be fine. The doctor is going to help you. He insisted as he gave himself a pep talk in the mirror. His reflection didn't look as confident as he was attempting to sound. For a long moment, he stared at his own image, trying to figure out 
which side of the glass he was actually on. Then he saw it, just out of the corner of his eye. Immediately he smashed his fist against the glass, panicking and shattering the shards into his skin as he ran from the restroom. Outside, Clark was waiting. He nearly collided with the doctor, who had actually been in the process of trying to find Adrian. "'What's the meaning of this?' he asked pointedly to the note in his book, and then noticing the broken and bruised hand that Brenner was cradling. "'Please, you're the only one I know that can help,' Adrian insisted. Sebastian called out to a few of his staff to come help the man and bandage him up. Clark didn't confirm anything about whether or not he would schedule the man a session, but Brenner could see it in his eyes. The doctor needed to know more. It would eventually consume him until he had no choice but to arrange a meeting. Sebastian Clark did not have many friends. His career was his life. He would spend long hours in the office compiling notes, trying to help the people that came to him, but often forgot about himself. Having empathy for others often comes with a great expense to oneself, and Dr. Clark paid that price tenfold. First and foremost, with his marriage. His wife became distant and despondent, angry that he would often work late to try and finish up a thesis, or he would have to volunteer for a suicide watch. But she would also always claim that she understood. It was a sacrifice they had to make. Eventually, though, time eroded her forgiveness, and she requested a legal separation. The marriage needed more fixing than any of his mentally broken patients. It caused him to nearly give up, but Clark chose to give in and try the separation. Maybe the old adage of distance makes the heart grow fonder would work in their case. This is why he came to the city, to try and rekindle whatever he had lost with Elaine and to figure out what was going on in his own head. It wasn't working, though. He was beginning to lose sleep and not eating properly. Sometimes he also forgot to bathe, and some would whisper that he had gone mad. And maybe they were right, because when he came to the city, that was when he started having the nightmares. At first he thought that perhaps they were just part of his subconscious, dealing with the separation from his wife, or handling the move. But as they became more vivid, he began to consider that maybe he was wrong about that. Maybe the dreams meant something else entirely. This is how things would play out when his insomnia took shape. Sebastian would be a child again, perhaps six or seven. He would wake up in his grandfather's vineyard, the one he often would spend his summers at in Ireland. The smell of the grapes and the butterflies would instantly attract him, and before he knew what was happening, young Sebastian would be chasing them here and there across the fields. It always would start off so pleasant, but it would never stay that way. Often, as he got closer to his grandfather's house, he would see storm clouds. A crack of thunder would stop him in his tracks and force him to look at the sky. A brilliant bolt of lightning would smash down from the heavens and split apart the tree he often climbed. And in the midst of the destruction, he would see a shadow, an ominous figure that had to be at least ten or twelve feet tall. The figure would move slowly from the destruction of the tree, 
almost as if it were hunting for something or someone. It was hard to describe precisely what the figure looked like, for the mists often made it difficult for young Sebastian to see. But one thing was certain. This was a monster of every sort of nightmare, with iron claws that could easily rip him apart, and a metal axe that could sever him in two. The creature's only purpose was clearly destruction. Perhaps most hideous of all, the beast had no head, and the blade it used to cast judgment upon others was sharp and bloodied, a clear indication that it had purposely dismembered itself. Why the young Sebastian could not be sure, but it did seem to give the monster a sense of its surroundings more than any normal vision might, as though this act of self-harm had imbued it with a magical strength. Fear seized him in that moment. To run and hide was an impossibility, but he still tried. And even though the nightmare did not move with speed, he always felt its presence. It was always going to find him, and every pace he made to escape only caused his own body to age and deteriorate until at last the inevitable occurred. The axe would be upon his neck, and the creature would swing it high and finish him off. Only the shriek of his alarm would keep him safe, and he would wake with cold sweats. What if one time the blade fell down on him? Was it possible to die if he didn't wake? At first he thought that couldn't be possible. After all, it was just a figment of his imagination. But that changed when he met Adrian Brenner. It was after a seminar, and he was signing books dismissively, thinking little of the events of the day. He was eager to return to his hotel and to spend the night drowned in bourbon and paperwork. But then this stranger took his attention. He wasn't there for an autograph. He needed help. Ordinarily, Sebastian would always let his secretary handle these appointments. But since the office was still new, he thought having an open invitation would work best. And it did. By the end of the day, he had nearly 300 new applications. But none caught his interest as quickly as Adrian Brenner. All it had taken was one word scrawled hastily on the book that Adrian had passed back. Dullahan. The name of the ghost that he had been trying to ignore. The name he could never remember but always lingered at the edge of his mind. And Adrian Brenner knew about it. And Sebastian Clark had to know why. Their first session was on a Thursday. Dr. Clark had cleared out his entire afternoon to talk with Adrian. He got there about 3.30, a little later than expected, but it was clear that the middle-aged man was nervous about how everything would go. The doctor tried to make his office as serene and calming as possible. Having worked with other patients that were far more manic than Adrian, he figured it would be enough. I don't really know where to begin other than I wish it had never started. It's been part of me for almost a year now, constantly harassing me in my dreams, and even while awake, always looming and getting closer, Adrian told him as he settled down on the couch. You haven't been sleeping properly, Clark guessed, and the other man only nodded. 
I used to have a life, a career, a family. Heck, Doc, I guess I was just like you, working at a big law firm, helping the less fortunate. I didn't figure I needed anything from anyone. I made my own luck and climbed that corporate ladder all by myself. So why would I even think that anything would slow me down? I guess that goes to show exactly how much of a fool I am. A pompous, idealistic one at that. The doctor could already tell that Adrian preferred to talk to himself, so he carefully chose which moments to interject. I was an accountant, had a good amount of clientele, that came to me for advice over the years. It paid well, too. I devoted so much of my time to that job, I thought that I was making an impact. But then the Dullahan showed up, and everything changed. Brenner explained. Tell me when you first started having the dreams, Sebastian told him. Dreams? Oh, no, sir. These are experiences I have while I wake. Vivid hallucinations of that headless monstrosity that follows me everywhere I go, Adrian blurted out. The therapist steepled his fingers together, clearly intrigued by this concept, and asked for more details. I wish I could rightly say what started it, or even when. It's been happening so frequently I haven't been able to rightly focus. To give these muddled thoughts the attention they deserve, but I'll try. I can at least trace back to the first instance I recorded. Adrian offered. Sebastian was taken aback to see that the man had compiled at least four months' worth of reports on the hallucination, including locations and time of day. This is an impressive catalog, he said. I just want to make them stop. I don't care what it takes. Hypnotism, radical experiments, drug trials. I just want my life back, Adrian reiterated. This is going to take some time for me to go over. Maybe we should have a sit-down in a week to go over this, Dr. Clark suggested. Brenner was already feeling relieved for coming and thanked the therapist for taking the matter so seriously. He even went home that evening and got a peaceful night's rest, unaware of the fact that he was passing on a curse to another unsuspecting party. Clark scoured the notes once he returned to his hotel room, looking over the different places that Adrian had been visited by the specter, and then chose to draw up a map. Slowly and carefully, he was seeing a pattern emerge and noticed that the Dullahan was using traditional structures almost as if it were studying and methodically hunting the younger man. As a hallucination, it was very intuitive and strategic, for Brenner's notes would always highlight that he thought he could outwit the ghost, only for the Dullahan to find a way to become a looming persona in his life. Dr. Clark assumed, of course, this was merely an aspect of the poor man's delusion. He has made this fantasy so elaborate it has become impossible to distinguish from reality, Clark thought sadly. As the hours wore on, he couldn't help but to also visualize the encounters with the monster, and he decided, despite the hour, to try an experiment. Three times in the journal... Adrian reported that he saw the Dullahan near to the park at night. 
Somehow, Clark wasn't sure that the reoccurring location was a subconscious way of projecting some past trauma, so he grabbed a coat and went to investigate. The park wasn't far from the shoddy hotel Clark had been calling home, perhaps a 19-minute drive. Since traffic was light that night, he made it there in only 13. According to Adrian's journal, the Dullahan approached him near the bridge that separated the eastern part of the park to the west. The encounters were always at night, and the creature would often attempt to kill the poor man while he was trying to catch a smoke. Clark was already forming theories in his head about what was causing these delusions as he walked briskly against the winter breeze. Perhaps Brenner was experiencing guilt over the addiction to nicotine, and the Dullahan was a symbol of his subconscious desire to break the nasty habit. Or it could have stemmed from the stress the accountant was undoubtedly experiencing due to the myriad of business deals that he was likely in charge of. As he stood there and looked back across the park toward the bridge, Sebastian second-guessed even coming. The waking vividness of the nightmares that Adrian was experiencing couldn't possibly occur simply because of a set time and place, and certainly the phenomenon wouldn't happen to him. Still, though, the therapist wanted to see for himself if anything would actually happen, so he stood there against the bridge and kept waiting. The night was quiet. Not even the insects made a sound as they searched the empty park for any sign of life. It almost felt supernatural. But the Dullahan did not come, and Dr. Clark became certain that the creature was nothing, well, more than the sad, fractured hallucinations of a broken man. The next time Adrian came for a session, Dr. Clark had prepared notes on possible treatment plans that could assist the young accountant with his delusions. Medications that he planned to prescribe were at the top of the list, along with printouts and notations on alternate routes they could explore. I want you to review all of this with an open mind, Mr. Brenner. We can make real progress to treat this disorder head-on if we work together. We have to be on the same page. Sebastian insisted. Adrian said nothing as he took the notes and reviewed them. His hands were having slight tremors, which at first the doctor assumed was being caused by the pain or insomnia, that his patient clearly felt. A moment later, though, Brenner surprised him and started to rip up the documents. What are you doing? Dr. Clark asked in shock. I thought I had a chance coming to you. I thought you'd be different than all the rest. Adrian snarled, tossing the papers in the therapist's face. This is nothing but a farce. You think I came to you for pills and to be coddled? My life is on the line here. I'm being pursued by something far worse than any normal treatment can possibly help. I need to kill the thing, not pretend it doesn't exist. Brenner snapped. He stood up, prepared to leave, and Clark tried to calm him down. Surely you recognize how utterly ridiculous that sounds, Adrian. First off, I'm a man of medicine, not some mystic. My methods are practical. I've helped hundreds, perhaps even thousands, with disorders just like yours. I thought you, of all people, would understand that this isn't merely a disorder. Brenner snapped back. Sebastian balked at that, 
tilting his head slightly and commented, What do you mean by that statement? The accountant looked at him with only contempt and remarked, Don't try and deny it. I knew from the moment that I saw you. You've had the same vivid nightmare, aren't you? Sebastian held back a retort, even as Adrian nodded with confidence. You can't hide from it, Doctor. We're connected somehow. The Dollahan has chosen us for a reason. Clark's mind was spinning, trying to bring the conversation back to reality. I tell you what, let's make an agreement. You say that the Dollahan is in pursuit of us? For whatever reason, there must be some merit to confronting the beast. Then let me propose this. We meet tonight at my hotel and together attempt to make contact with this headless monster. If it's as threatening as you claim, then we should seek a way to dispose of it together. What do you say to that? The doctor responded. He was expecting Adrian to back down from the preposterous idea. But the therapist should have known better than to wager with a man that had nothing to lose. What's the address? Brenner asked. It was too late to back out now, Sebastian realized. But perhaps this could finally give the poor man some way to find relief from his delusion, he reasoned. I'll email it to you shortly. Be there around eight and we can face our demons together. During the interim hours of their next casual appointment, Sebastian decided to research the history of the legendary Dullahan. By finding all the different theories and origins of this myth, perhaps I can discover a way for both Adrian and myself to rid our minds of these vivid monsters, he reasoned. The Celtic tales varied from website to website, but a few general features stuck out. Perhaps what was most well-known was his headless appearance, and there were many stories that suggest how he lost his head, one of which being that he was a soldier in his previous life and had his head taken from him in battle. His roaming has been depicted as him searching for his lost head for all of eternity. However, some stories suggest that he already had his head and that he rides with a darker purpose, believed to be so bitter about his own death that he searches for other souls to take with him to the afterlife. Sebastian remembered that the creature was commonly portrayed as either riding on the back of a black horse, also headless, or riding a black carriage that is pulled by six black horses. But neither of those seemed to feature in the nightmares he and Brenner were experiencing, so he moved on. Many of the legends circled around how the monster was meant to be a warning of some kind, telling all to stay out of the Dullahan's path. No locked gate stays closed when he approaches, bursting open to let the Dullahan through. As he makes his way through towns and villages after dark, the people hide behind their curtains because if anyone were to look at him, they would be immediately blinded or far worse. This he causes by slashing their eyes out with a whip made from a human spine or by throwing a basin of blood into their eyes. The sight said that the nightmare had the ability to speak only once on a journey, and that is to say the name of the person whose life he wishes to take. Once the Dullahan states this name, 
That person's soul is called to death, and there is no defying this call. Sometime during the wait, Dr. Clark nodded off, imagining this ferocious creature chasing after him fervently. As much as he wanted to confront it, the terror he felt any time the Delahan was near was too great to ignore. A knock on his door startled him awake, and he led Adrian into the messy apartment, wishing that he had never even researched all of the grisly details of the monster. You've seen him recently? Adrian asked. Sebastian didn't really bother to deny it, and instead encouraged the stranger to sit and got them both a bottle of wine. I think we need to figure out exactly how we can summon it, he remarked. How to kill it? Adrian suggested. The research I found is unanimous of that. Destroy the head, he said, dismissively, as he opened the curtains to the hotel balcony to let in the cool night air. I've never seen a creature carrying a head, have you? Brenner whispered. No, but again I've never entertained the idea that the monster might be real. Then you will be his victim, Adrian said decisively. Sebastian chuckled at that as the two men shared wine and some snacks. Clark was thinking about his wife, how he could be with her now instead of here. I've done a lot of wrong in my life, he admitted as they let the night pass them by. Do you believe the Delahan is aware of our sins? Adrian asked. I think it's a manifestation of our guilt, Sebastian admitted. My wife, Olivia, warned me this job would take me over, eat away at my soul. It's become my every waking moment for so long. I honestly don't know what I would do without it, Clark explained. But you seem so well put together, calm and conservative, Brenner said. I think your co-workers likely said the same thing of you before you let this obsession get the best of you, Dr. Clark remarked. The young accountant smiled and looked toward the window. But then his expression changed to one of horror. Dalek, he's here, Adrian said in a faint whisper. Sebastian resisted the impulse and decided to play along. This was, after all, what he'd hoped would solve the problem. What does he look like? The therapist asked. Tall, dark, very strong. A cloak as black as night. An axe that is ready to rip you limb from limb. He shivered. Adrian stood frightened and was about to run when Clark snapped. No. We said we would confront it together. And that's what we will do. I can't. No. No, please. Brenner said as he began to sob. He. He has chosen you. Sebastian Clark. He demands your soul tonight, Adrian said. My soul? If it even exists, I gave it up for this job long ago, he said dismissively. Sebastian finally turned around, unsurprised to see the balcony was empty. Then, suddenly, Adrian tried to push him toward the edge. The doctor let out a yelp as he twisted about and tumbled, narrowly avoiding the ledge. Adrian Brenner was not so lucky. He fell over, crying out in surprise as he gripped the balcony and hung on for dear life. What the hell is wrong with you? He asked in shock. 
But something else had also gone terribly wrong in a short burst of regression. Adrian's shirt was tightly wrapped around his neck, suffocating him as he clung to the rails. I'm sorry, Clark. I'm sorry. I didn't want it this way, but it's fate. We're destined to meet. The accountant sputtered even as his doctor tried to save him. Then Sebastian saw something else in the man's eyes. An evil that lived there, a need to kill. And he hesitated. This was all for show. You never saw the Dullahan at all. You want to take on its charge and take the souls of those you don't think deserve them, Clark realized. Then another darker thought crossed his mind. Who are you, really? Olivia told me how you treated her, casting her aside like garbage. I couldn't let that continue, not while you sat here in your penthouse drinking wine and ignoring her. Vernon said as the strangulation got worse and he couldn't breathe. Of course, only Olivia knew about the dreams, Clark thought. He knew he could press charges, perhaps even convict his wife if he could prove the two were involved. But instead, Sebastian Clark made a human mistake. He watched as the life faded from Adrian Brenner's eyes and his neck snapped from the tightening noose of clothes. Then, as his body became limp, the noose became so tight that the man's head was severed from his body, causing it to tumble toward the swimming pool below first. It all seemed to happen in slow motion, as Dr. Clark watched, stunned to see that, in a bizarre way, Adrian had become the dull hand, his separated body and head floating eerily in the water below. The next morning, Sebastian filed a report claiming an assault by Adrian, and also called his wife. It's finally time to sign those divorce papers, was all Clark said. It made him feel like his spirit was being crushed at the finalization of it all. To think that she hated me this much to finish me off, he thought as he came into the office next day. Dr. Clark, I was just about to call you. You have a patient waiting, his secretary said as he arrived. My schedule was clear today. Did you tell them to come back? He asked. I think he was here before. I was. I didn't bother him, sir. I just saw him sitting in there. The secretary said as she gestured toward the office door. Sebastian sighed and entered, wondering who was bothering to interrupt his day off. Then he froze as he saw the familiar face of Adam Brenner. Except that this time... The face was no longer attached to a body, but merely cradled at the side of the man's torso. The severed head had a terrible appearance, covered in rotting flesh that gave off the strong odor of rotting cheese with a complexion of stale dough. His mouth was split into a terrifying grin, almost as if Adrian was finding joy in becoming the Dullahan and taking the life of others like Clark. His eyes lit up with an evil fire as his body stood, and his free hand pointed a gruesome broken finger at Clark. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. The doctor mumbled again and again as he tried to not tremble in fear. But even the most imaginary of evils 
can cause the most real harm. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed All in Our Heads as written by Kyle Harrison and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first story, you can help support our featured author and enjoy it plus 10 other terrifying original tales by picking up a copy of their short story collection entitled Strange Lands, available now on Amazon.com in Kindle and paperback editions. You can pick up a copy today at simplyscurrypodcast.com slash Kyle H, spelled K-Y-L-E-H. That's simplyscurrypodcast.com slash Kyle H, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can dig into the book today. As an Amazon associate, a portion of your purchase made using that URL is provided to us as well as the author. Strange Lands is your passport to the unknown. In it, you'll travel alongside passengers to lands far away, both familiar and not, and discover stories that bring ancient lands to modern times while witnessing the true evil that exists both in myth and in the hearts of man. Written specifically for this collection, all ten of the tales in the book are designed to evoke emotion and to help you pause and reflect on the origins of fables. So, allow yourself to be filled with a sense of wonder and terror as your mind wanders to places you only dreamed of, unraveling mysteries and nightmares both new and old, and discover that nowhere is truly safe. Get your copy of Strange Lands by Kyle Harrison today at simplyscarypodcast.com slash Kyle H. You won't be sorry you did, and be sure, if you enjoy it, to leave a five-star review and a kind word, and let the author know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, Courtesy once again of Kyle Harrison. In it, a couple travels to an isolated forest cabin in an attempt to get away from it all. Unfortunately, all they get themselves into is trouble. Without further ado, I present to you the Treehouse. 
There's some stories that you can't get out of your head no matter how hard you try. They're like the roots of a tree working their way deep into your subconscious. This is one of those stories. It didn't start out this way, of course, because most things never do. Like a young sapling, it flourished until finally producing foliage. And then the time came to pluck the fruit. The only way it can be harvested and release you from its unyielding vines is if you tell it. So that's exactly what I intend to do. Before my wife Eleanor and I got married and had our daughter, we used to take a lot of romantic weekend getaways in and around the Four States area. We both lived in Idabel, Oklahoma back in 2012, so planning a trip to somewhere like Queen Wilhelmina wasn't all that hard. After saving up our money for about four months, though, we decided to do something different and head toward the rustic scenery of the Ozarks. Eleanor insisted that the entire thing be planned by her because we hadn't gotten a chance to celebrate our one-year dating anniversary. And even though I felt like I could predict where she would take me, I let her have her fun. We grew up as childhood sweethearts and during high school developed a relationship. What really drew us together was our mutual love of camping. She knew better than anyone that my dream was to experience the great outdoors every day if I could. So when she announced she had found a perfect isolated cabin for us to stay at, I was ecstatic. And that excitement only increased when I realized the private lodge was designed like a treehouse. Valley View treetops got about three and a half stars online. Not bad for a place that apparently was only three years old. The pictures showed it was secluded, park-like area with nine suites available and a few more under construction. Ours, Suite 3, had a majestic view of the expansive forest that covered most of the eastern horizon. When we arrived, I was pleased to learn that Eleanor and I were pretty much the only guests booked for the next four days so we would have the campsite to ourselves. It reminded me of one of those treehouses you might see on the Do-It-Yourself channel, an elaborate staircase rising from the ground for us to reach our private bungalow. While Eleanor was unpacking our bags, I took a minute to walk around the spacious interior and open the blinds. When I opened the window near the back of the cabin, I was a bit surprised to see another treehouse a little deeper in the southeast ravine. It looked far older than any of the models we'd driven past, with the large branches of the hickory pines almost swallowing it whole. The construction of the treehouse looked like it was meant to resemble one that a child might build, with a solitary window and a rope ladder used to climb inside. With the windows boarded up and the foundation clearly decaying, I figured it was probably some idea the lodge had concocted to draw in more customers but that it never grown popular. When Eleanor had finished bringing the bags upstairs, I pointed it out to her, and she gave it a curious stare. Huh, kind of spooky looking, isn't it? She commented. I gave her a smile, but wasn't ashamed to admit it made me feel uncomfortable to have our window open, so I closed it and then took her in my arms. I wasn't about to let some weird abandoned bed and breakfast ruin our trip. 
After a round of making love, I took a shower and walked back down to the car, wearing nothing but a shower robe to get my camera gear. I figured since we were the only ones out here, it wouldn't hurt. But my hopes were dashed as soon as I got to it. When I saw two groups of men step out of a white van parked adjacent to the hill, they didn't seem to notice me observing them, so I stood there for a minute and watched as they set up all sorts of equipment like they were about to film something. My curiosity got the better of me, and I grabbed one of my coats out of the trunk and slipped it on as I approached them. One of the cameramen spotted me and gave me a friendly smile. He was nervous and seemed surprised to see anyone else here. Good afternoon, sir, he said as he adjusted his ball cap. What are y'all doing out here, I said, as a cold breeze chilled my still wet hair. Before he could answer, another man, shorter and fatter, approached me and smiled broadly before speaking. Howdy! Franklin Dean's the name. Did you come to try and brave the night at the Valley View Tree of Terror? He asked with a laugh. I looked at him in puzzlement, and then saw the cameramen were adjusting their equipment to view the abandoned treehouse just beyond where we were staying. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I admitted hesitantly. The chubby older man smiled at me and gestured toward the strange dangling suite. That there is the reason we came here. My team and I are a group of expert paranormal investigators that explore the active sites for spirits in this area, including mountains, swamps, and, well, well, this... He explained as he gestured toward the treehouse again. You think it's haunted? I asked skeptically. It certainly looked like it could be. We got several reports from folks who stayed here that reported they heard ghostly screams in the night and the constant sound of something scratching at their window. The other cameraman said as he strolled by with his equipment. I wanted to call their bluff, knowing that I had seen far too many scripted reality shows with a similar premise. They were just trying to cash in on this rundown treehouse without any permission to probably even be here. But I didn't bother with them and went back upstairs to tell Eleanor about our new neighbors. She was flipping through the channels while I watched the five of them carefully climb the rope ladder to get inside the abandoned cabin. As it drew darker, I noticed that they still hadn't come out and I commented dryly. I bet they set up some kind of sound booth in there to make ghostly noises. We probably won't get any sleep. Don't worry, I'll protect you. Eleanor teased. I rolled my eyes and kissed her before settling down. Sure enough, about a half hour later, the noises I predicted I would hear started to slowly wind their way through our cabin walls and woke me up. These guys are pretty hardcore, I thought, as I... Felt my hair stand on edge. It's not real. I kept telling myself as I heard the whispers and the sounds of wailing. Then the sounds intensified, and I heard scratching on the outside of the cabin. Seriously, my wife groaned. She fumbled out of bed and raised the window to get a good look at the window. It looked pitch dark inside, but we could still hear the sound of the screams. They were distant and echoey, like you would hear in a typical haunted house. This is annoying, Helena barked. I should go over there and give them a piece of my mind. I'll let them have their fun, I told her, as I yanked her toward the shower. There are other ways to distract ourselves.
for a while at least, we were able to drown out the outside world. We resigned ourselves to watching television the rest of the night, however. Once it became clear our neighbor's film shoot wasn't going to be over until daybreak. The next day, Eleanor decided to go talk to them anyway, despite my insistence that we let it go. They probably weren't planning on bothering us anyway, as I said, and followed her toward the ravine. She ignored my protests and walked carefully down the side of the pass to reach the rope ladder even as I followed behind. The ladder creaked as she went up to the top, and then she started banging on the door to get their attention. Eleanor, stop! I told her once I reached the top. I wanted to see how they'd like it when they were disturbed. She commented as she tried to look past the boarded-up windows to catch a glimpse of the five men. Doesn't look like anybody's here. Maybe they went out, I suggested, feeling even more uncomfortable in the strange enclosure than I did a moment ago. Before I had a chance to tell her we should leave, Eleanor used her elbow and knocked out some of the boards to get inside. She pushed herself through the small passage, and I waited for only half a second before following her inside. The dark and dank space made it difficult to see anything, but it was clear we had stepped into some sort of living space. Dust and decay covered the whole room, and Eleanor covered her mouth and nose as we stood there. A few seconds later, the odor hit me as well, and I realized it smelled like something had died inside the suite. Doesn't look like anybody has used this for a while. She observed and used her phone to shine a light toward the ceiling. As we stepped into the kitchen, we noticed that the tree's roots had penetrated the cabin's interior. I saw something shimmer near the kitchen table, and Eleanor focused her light on it. Both of us, frozen in place, as we looked at the strange ensemble of vines that covered what appeared to be a human form slumped over onto a plate. As we got closer, I examined the man's face and realized it was one of the cameramen I'd seen. Eleanor, he's been dead for a while, I said, my heart racing as we looked about the strange open space. Next, we investigated the master bedroom, where my wife couldn't take her eyes off the paintings on the back wall. I looked as well and saw what seemed to be more strange dark roots enveloping four individuals. They died here. They all died. Eleanor muttered as she prepared to leave. How did it take their bodies so quickly, I asked, looking toward the table again and glimpsing what appeared to be a toppled-over camera near the man's foot. I couldn't help myself and propped the camera up Surprised that it still had battery life. Eleanor was tugging at my arm to leave, but I simply had to press play. The video came to life filled with static, and I saw the five men standing in the dining room smiling at each other excitedly. They were getting ready to set up the other cameras and film the strange events of the treehouse. One of the cameramen focused on the odd roofs that we had seen entangling the roof and commented, Seems like every minute we stay here, they move. Then something else shocked me. Another man commented on how excited he was about an upcoming election. That was well over a year ago, I thought, as I watched them start to film. The video clipped and became distorted as Eleanor and I watched the man experience phenomenon I can't even describe. The treehouse was coming to life, 
ensnarling them in its grasp. One of them was enmeshed into the wall before it could run away. Another felt the roots tighten around his body as he filmed. Help us, please. We're stuck here. Franklin, the director, shouted to the camera as though he knew we were there and speaking to us in the present. We need to go, Eleanor said. I felt the treehouse watching us, but I couldn't resist. I removed the memory card from the camera and raced toward the exit alongside her, evidence in hand. Muffled screams whistled through the vines as we hurriedly climbed back down. Eleanor caught her breath as we stood there, and I looked up toward the strange enclosure, trying to make sense of what we had just seen. It's a trick. I muttered softly. They set this all up just to scare us, because otherwise we'd be dead too, right? I flicked the memory card in between my fingers, desperately wanting to see the rest of the video. Eleanor said nothing as we walked back to our own cabin, feeling all the while as if the abandoned treehouse was watching us. That night, as my wife took a shower to calm her nerves, curiosity got the better of me and I inserted the memory card into my camera. I watched in silence as the video showed one of the men laughing madly, and then roots springing out from his mouth and eyes. Then the perspective changed as though some unseen force was guiding the imagery, and I saw myself. In the video, I was kissing Eleanor, guiding her toward the shower, making love to her while this ethereal force watched in silence. I ripped the memory card out and tossed it to the ground in horror. I ran to Eleanor and told her I wanted to leave immediately. She tried to reassure me it was all a trick of the camera as we walked toward the car. But then we looked toward the East Ravine, and the treehouse was no more. It was just gone, vanished without a trace. We didn't bother to ask for our security deposit back. I hope you enjoyed The Treehouse by author Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has an amazing brand new book for sale, featuring 11 terrifying tales written specifically for the collection, including All in Our Heads, which you heard on this episode, and many more. You can help support Kyle by picking up a copy of Strange Lands, available now on Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle editions. You can pick up a copy today at simplyscarypodcast.com slash Kyle H, spelled K-Y-L-E-H. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Kyle H, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can get started giving yourself the heebie-jeebies today. And again, if you give Strange Lands a try, please consider leaving the author a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program. It would mean a lot to both of us. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Don't forget to follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit to see more of his work and keep up with his latest releases. Kyle goes by the username Colorblindness on Reddit uh, with color spelled C-O-L-O-U-R. Now, 
I'd like to also thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season's passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha 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 ha!